Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 60. Episode 60 I'm up to. That's feeling pretty good. Episode 60 of We're Talking Shift, the podcast where I talk a lot of shift because I believe that when we feel stuck or when it's time to level up, rise to a challenge or or make any kind of a shift, the process must begin with a shift in our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. Today, I thought it would be fun to talk about an article that I ran across recently about emotional intelligence based on the findings of psychologist and science journalist Daniel Goleman. Mr. Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ, published in 1995, introduced the developing concept of emotional intelligence. It draws on the groundbreaking brain and behavioral research that revealed the factors at work when people of high IQ flounder and those of modest IQ do surprisingly well. These factors, which include self-awareness, self-discipline, and empathy, add up to a different way of being smart, one that he terms emotional intelligence. I don't know. I like the sounds of that. His book actually redefines what it means to be smart. That sounds really good to me, you guys. Now, this article outlined 13 indicators or characteristics marking emotional intelligence. So I thought it would be interesting and fun to share them, explore a few of them a little bit with TJ, and we'll see where it takes us. TJ, what's up? How are you? 60. Congratulations. That's a, that's a, that's yeah. a big uh, sort of watermark to hit. I think so, right? It yeah. feels good. It and, feels and, good. and credit to you. I mean, we've been working together for you know a little over a year, and yeah. that tells me if we're on episode sixty and there's fifty-two weeks in a year, that uh, you're very consistent. And that is the hardest part about podcasting is being consistent. And you've done a great job at that. Well, thank you, thank you. I'm big on consistency. When I when I get into something that's important to me, I don't care if it's you know my my new product line for my face and my skincare, or if it's you know what I'm eating, my right. my diet, or or this. I when I'm into it, I am extremely consistent. Probably a little anal about right. it, but that's okay. It works for me. We we are creatures of habit, and the best way to make something, especially things that we like in our life best way to make it a staple of our life is to, you know, make it a part of your routine. And, uh, you've done just that. And a lot of people with podcasts, why I think, um, you know, consistency is an issue is a lot of people want to do a podcast. They hear the idea. Yeah, that sounds great. And then they find out, oh man, that's a lot of work. It's kind of hard. <laughs> right. It is. I think it's, you know, I put some time into it. I don't just, uh, I don't just wing it. I, I admire people that can jump on and wing it and have great content. But for me, I got to give, I, I just have to be organized. I have to put some thought in it. And I'm just really, you know, big on making sure that I feel that everything that I'm putting out there is valuable. Well, you do a great job. And uh, time and time again, I find myself getting sucked into the uh, content of the show. And I'm just supposed to sit here and not crack the mic every every episode and when I get to I'm I'm very excited that I do so it's a pleasure to chat with you 
Thank you. And you know, one day we'll do that where I'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to give you the, uh, I'm going to give you the green light, uh, the freedom to just, if you feel like bouncing in with something just out of left field, I'm just going to say, go for it. I will, we'll, I, I will do yeah. my best to not make okay. you regret that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right. So you ready to talk about some, uh, the points and the, the characteristics of emotional intelligence? Let's do it. Okay. All right. We've got 13 of them here. The first one is you think about feelings. It says emotional intelligence begins with what is called self and social awareness, the ability to recognize emotions and their impact in both yourself and others. So that awareness begins with reflection, right? So you might even like ask yourself, where are my emotional strengths? What are my weaknesses? You know, how does my current mood affect my thoughts and decision making and so on? What do you think about that? 100%. I mean, I think that we uh, need to be analytical and, and aware. And I think I do this a lot. Um, I, I like to, I mean, this is not just with like, uh, emotions. This is every sort of situation in life, uh, especially when I find that someone disagrees with me. Uh, I want to figure out why they disagree with me. And I, I kind of think about like, okay, if I were in their shoes, how are they seeing this? How are they feeling about this? And I think the same goes for uh, emotion and, and, and feeling in, in that way. And, um, you know, the, the old saying is do unto others as you would like others to do unto you. And, and I try to live mm -hmm. by that as much as I can, because um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm only me. I only know how I would feel about certain things, but, uh, at the same time, like I want to make sure that I'm not, uh, making anyone uh, upset or making them feel a way that I'm not trying to get them to feel. And the only way to do that is looking inward and seeing how right. you would feel. Yeah, that, that's true. I looked at that and I, um, I kind of asked myself, I was like, well, what are, what would I consider my own emotional strengths and my own emotional weaknesses? So I was like, how, you know, how does my current mood affect my thoughts and my decision-making? So I, I know like for myself, when I thought about it, I was like, well, when I'm feeling really great, which is most of the time, I'm usually a pretty up person. And so in that state of mind with those, um, more high vibrating feelings, I tend to jump at opportunities. I take more risks. And, you know, if I hit a low spot, which doesn't happen too often, but, you know, every now and then, then I know that I can start to second guess myself a little bit, wonder, you know, if I'm doing the right thing or in the right way. So it was kind of interesting to sort of take stock of that. Right. Yeah. You know, um, uh, real quick too, on, on, on that sort of uh, thought process, like when I think about the ability to sort of think outside of our shell, um, I think that goes back to really sort of the uh, whole point of this conversation, like emotional and mental intelligence. Like, I, I think we may not have it when we're younger, but at some point it, it's going to develop. It's going to, you're going to go through a maturation process. And, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't think about. Like physically, we can see how someone is maturing and, and growing, you know, up and, and there's a lot of, uh, sort of, uh, thought and emphasis on how we are, you know, growing up, there's doctor checkups and, and things like that and, and watermarks and benchmarks to, to hit. I feel there's the same sort of things when it comes to mental health and mental maturation, but it's not, you know, something that is, you know, Hey, mm -hmm. I got to go to the doctor every year to get my yearly checkup about, you know, my emotions. That that's not a thing mm -hmm. for people. And I think maybe it should be. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's been largely um, 
overlooked uh, really until until kind of recently. And that's when I was skimming through the the book on top of this article. I it was talking a lot about that. So I think you're right on there. Um, the second one is you pause. So the pause is as simple as taking a moment to stop and think before you speak or act, which is obviously for a lot of people um, easy in theory, but rather difficult in practice. Uh, but it can help save you from embarrassing moments or from making commitments too quickly. So it says, in other words, pausing helps you refrain from making a, a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. And I think that's a really good point there. I mean, not only can, is it easy to just, you know, put your foot in your mouth and we've all done that at some point and we were like, oh my God, I wish I could take those words back. Right. But the other part of that is, yeah, when you're in a heightened state of emotion and you are making decisions, important decisions or permanent decisions based on that, uh, at some point you might want to wish that you had paused long enough to collect yourself and kind of get to a neutral point before making the the decision or the choice. You know what that is? I think that's the mental sort of version of don't go to the grocery store while you're very hungry. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. That's perfect. Yeah. So true. Oh my God, that is the worst. I really try to avoid the store when I'm hungry because it is, yeah, it's not good. No, no. And no one can really, you know, I don't care how disciplined you are. If you're starving, you just want to buy everything. You do. And then you get home. I know for me, if I've ever been in that um, position, it's been a while because I've trained myself not to do that. But right. there have been plenty of times where I did that. And then you get home and then you, you know, you satiate your hunger and then you're looking in the covers going, why do I have all this stuff that I would never buy? Right. But yet, yeah, there it is. I mean, my, <laughs> my problem is I'll get home and I'm like, I just bought a whole bunch of things that I can eat right now and nothing to make meals out of. Great. Great job. <laughs> right. Right. It's all stuff that you could start eating in the car. <laughs> exactly. And and sometimes maybe I do. Just saying. Maybe. Totally. Uh, all right. Let's move on to point number three. It is you strive to control your thoughts. And we've touched on that before, but let's read what he says. Most of the time people get caught up in the negative emotion they're experiencing and they just keep focusing on it, which of course then fuels it. So instead, if you shift your thoughts to how best to respond, so you're, you know, that way you're not like denying or stuffing the emotion, but you're just acknowledging it and then determining the most positive or empowering way to respond. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, Emotion, yeah. Emotions inform our opinions, and sometimes we need to remove the emotion to actually, you know, be more logical uh, about some of the opinions that we need to get to and, you know, outcomes. But, yeah, like, yeah, you, you have to, you know, analyze that emotion and, you know, mm -hmm. use the information that it's giving to you in the proper way. Yeah. Yeah. Like he says, you don't have much control over the emotion you experience in a given moment all the time, but you can control the reaction to the emotions by focusing on your thoughts. Like, what am I thinking that's generating this emotion? And, you know, that's something that I, that I just drive home all the time when I'm in, in sessions with clients, because it is so easy. If you're not practiced at managing your thoughts, we, we have a tendency to just 
be, do sloppy thinking. Right. And then, and then that sloppy thinking is generating all of these emotions that are less than comfortable or, you know, sure. not really how you want to feel. You know, on, um, on that note, you and I have not clash, clash wouldn't be the right word, but we've got into a solid debate in the past about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the choice of being happy, whether or not being happy uh, is a choice. And, and I don't think that being happy is, is a choice or isn't a choice. I, I tend to think that it's a product of a lot of things in life, but I, I think we did sort of meet in the middle on the fact that you are the one that is going to really make the choice and whether or not when the tough gets going, if you're going to get past it or if it's going to destroy you. And totally. And I think that's something that this sort of is getting at. Like when you have the emotion, like you get to choose whether or not you can make the right adjustments if it's negative or uh, sometimes even like you don't necessarily want to get super happy and, and emotionally uh, excited about, you know, uh, having a conversation that is, you know, maybe like a contract negotiation where you can't reveal your hand too much when things are starting to go your way. Like, yeah, it, it goes both ways. Right. Yeah. No, I get that. I like what he says here. Um, uh, Mr. Goldman, he says, um, you can't prevent a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest. <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Right. 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 So he's, yeah, yeah. Controlling your reaction to your emotions by focusing on your thoughts. And he says, by striving to control your thoughts, you resist becoming a slave to your emotions. And that's the big thing right there. So many people are a slave to their emotions and they don't realize they haven't connected the dot that they're the ones generating the emotions most of the time. 100%. I I definitely agree with you on that. And, you know, going back to our larger discussion where maybe we've disagreed, like, I think you and I are both right. It's just the way you look at it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I can't say that I'm always going to be happy, but I can also, you know, at the same time say, I'm not going to let things destroy me if I'm not super happy. Exactly. Exactly. How you you can decide how you're going to react. Right. Okay. Number four, you benefit from criticism. So obviously most of us do not enjoy negative feedback, but you know that criticism is a chance to learn, even if it's not delivered in the best way. And even when it's unfounded, it gives you a window into how others think. Right. Um, Yeah. So when you receive negative feedback, you know, keep your emotions in check and ask yourself, how can this make me better? That's I, I, I yeah. hate the word criticism because there's a, a negative connotation with it, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But like we all need feedback and we get feedback for everything that we do. So when it's mm-hmm. negative or maybe not what we're going for, why is that a bad thing? Like, sure, it sucks. Maybe people aren't, you know, receiving the things that you want uh, them to the way that you would like them to. But at the same time, like if if you don't get the feedback, then you don't know that maybe you could be doing something better. Like, yeah, life yeah. is all about adjustment. It's, it's all about adjustment. And, and I feel like if you don't adjust, I mean, you can't mm-hmm. adjust if you don't know that there's room for improvement and adjustment. And if everybody just liked everything uh, the way that you did it, then I mean, this would be kind of a boring life, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Right, right. I mean, I think that, yeah, you can always benefit from that if you don't, if you decide you're going to be offended and really get your ass chapped, you know, you're just going to resist it and, and it, it's going to be hard for you to grow and evolve uh, and become more emotionally intelligent according to this. But (laughs) you know what? There's always a gift in the criticism and it's either going to be for your own personal growth and development in, you know, in which case we can then take that that criticism and, and humbly consider that there's something that we might want to work on. Um, or, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it was unfounded. I mean, the gift, the gift that you get might actually be insight into what another person thinks about you. And it may be way off base, but it's going to tell you something about them. So, So, uh, you know, I, I do television broadcasts and obviously I do a lot of podcasts and, a lot of people will tell you, don't go on Twitter. Don't see what pay- people are saying about you on Twitter. And I love to do that because I feel like I'm actually getting an uncensored, unfiltered stream of feedback. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm an adult. I'm mature enough to understand what is, you know, elementary level feedback where, ah, you know, I, I remember uh, seeing uh, this tweeted one time after a, a, a fight card that I provided commentary for uh it said something along the lines of tj's a terrible commentator he needs to get a tan (laughs) it's like well i'm on the television for like four minutes at the top of the show and then there's two minutes and you know 56 or two hours and 56 minutes of you know me where you don't see me at all you just hear me uh that's ridiculous but then (laughs) i've I've noticed some people talk about like uh speech patterns and vocal crutches that i have and i'm like you know what i'm gonna write that one down like we don't need mm-hmm. to see that uh, say that more than you know twice a show. And it's like, yeah, like I yeah. can look because I'm. I mean, maybe maybe it sucks that I think someone thinks that I'm I'm pale and pasty. But you know <laughs> what? Like that that's not right. a real uh, you know critique of my ability to speak and call a fight. Right. Yeah. I mean, it'd be different if you were like trying to, you know, sell tanning lotion. Right. But yeah. Right. So you you, you I think I think you're right about the social media aspect as long as you've got the. The maturity, I guess, and the skin, uh, honestly, emotional stability yeah. to be discerning about what you're reading. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think that I'm I'm strong there. So uh, yeah. I like to see it. I like to evaluate it and see what is, uh, you know, actually, you know, good feedback and uh, nonsense. And sometimes the nonsense yeah. is funny. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it's just good for a laugh. Right. Um, but yeah, if there's something valid there, it's great if you're mature enough um, to just take it and go, hmm, I might be able to uh, improve myself a little bit. Thank you very much. Exactly. All right. Number five, you show authenticity. Now, authenticity, I think this is a good one to talk about for a minute. Authenticity doesn't mean that you share everything about yourself to everyone all of the time. It it does mean saying what you mean and meaning what you say and sticking to your values and principles above all else. And you, you know that everyone, not everyone is going to appreciate your sharing your thoughts and feelings, but the ones who matter will. So I, 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 lo- I, I love yeah. the way that you described that. Um, yeah. Because have you ever heard people just like, quote unquote, tell it like it is and say, you know, real talk, I'm being real. And it's like, mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just being a real dick. Like, right. honestly, like, like, yeah, yeah, that's not how that's not being real. That's like literally just being mean. If you want to have a real conversation, I don't think you would ever, you know, preface it like, oh, real talk. 
I don't like this because this, and that's the way it is. It's like, well, no, you can, you can say that and be like authentic, but not also be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Real and authentic doesn't necessarily mean it's okay to be, yeah, an ass. Right. Um, you know, I mean, you can, but, but I do, there's that. And then the other part of that is there's a, there's a lot of, um, I'm using air quotes here, authenticity going on all over the place because it's the trend du jour over the last, you know, about 10 years. Um, but people, I, I feel kind of mistake that with, oh, I need to share every personal thing about me because that's being authentic. And, and I think that, you know, they, there's a confusion there and it, it doesn't mean being authentic doesn't mean that you need to dump your personal stuff on everyone that you come into contact with. You know, there's a, there's a time and a place and in, in the right people for that, but not every time, every place and every person needs to be the recipient of every nook and cranny of your feelings in your business. Right. You be, know what be, I mean? Being real doesn't mean that you forego being classy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people tend to sort of think that, oh, I'm real, so I don't worry about the way that I, I come off in certain situations and I just let everything, you know, out there for everyone to mm-hmm. see and hear. It's like, I, yeah. I don't think that's yeah. the same thing. Like, that's not being no. real. That's like, yeah. It, it's just, yeah, it's just putting all your stuff out there. And, you know, if that's your deal, but I just think that, you know, keeping some feelings and some things to yourself is not being inauthentic. It's just simply being private. There's a difference. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, I, I just want to be perceived a certain way. And, uh, you know, not everything yeah. needs to be out there all the time, despite it. You know, I'm not, I'm not hiding who I am by not letting everything out. No, I mean, it's really not any different um, than, you know, it's uh, it's kind of against our general sort of moral code, I guess, or value system, at least in, in our country, the way I've been brought up, that you don't go around and tell everybody how much money you make. You just because it's private. No, no, I mean, you just right. And it, so, it, how is it different than if you go around and are constantly telling everybody about all of your personal business and all of your right. feelings? Every day. Well, I mean, even, even if you're being factually correct and, and maybe it sounds braggadocious, like if you come out and be like, you know how much money I made last year? I made a million dollars last year, blah, 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 blah. It's like no one's going to believe you, even if it's the truth, like you're overcompensating for something. Maybe maybe you do make that much money. But what else is inadequate in your life that you're starting to you know walk around with your chest puffed out? Right, right. There's you have to wonder about uh, what the what the motivation is for oversharing, shall we say? Right. Like, did, did no one hug you as a child? Is that is that what this is? You're looking for affection from everyone and adoration? Like, I don't know. It's just weird to me. Yeah, yeah. And the the, the you know uh, opposite of that is true too. If you walk around and say I made ten million dollars, you're going to come off you know odd, and people are going to you know judge you in a lot of different ways. But if you also walk around and be like, I made ten dollars last year. This is really, like that's also not a good look. <laughs> you know, right. it's just not like, like, I, I, I mean, that, that may sound odd, but I can't tell you how many people that I know, Lori, that their whole bit in life is to tell you how hard they have it. And it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to me. Right. Well, you know, there's, that's because when, when people are doing, they're in a pattern, you know, they're in a patterned way of being and a patterned way of, you know, sharing their story. And part of that is, you know, they're looking for something. So they're, they're either looking for, um, 
you know, understanding or they're looking for pity or they're looking for somebody to um, say, yes, I can relate to that. I'm there with you. So they, they're looking for connection. Or sometimes people are just simply looking and they don't even maybe realize it. It's really a way of being um, manipulative because you're soliciting, ah. you know, you, you solicit pity from people by inappropriate, inappropriately sharing your sob story all the time under the misguided notion that you're being authentic. You know what? No, I think you're, you're onto yeah. something there because I think I definitely do feel that way when it's a situation where it's coming from someone maybe that I don't know all that well, because you, you kind of give people the benefit of the doubt that everyone is normal and everyone is this baseline and your first interaction with someone, if they're constantly like that, but you don't know because it's your first time around them, then they do sort of elicit that feeling that maybe they're looking for out of you. But like, the, the people that I'm talking about, like I've been friends with, you know, people since high school where it's just like every time I talk to them, it's just like, man, you know, this storm front rolled in over your life in middle school and it's just been raining every day. Like it doesn't make right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that's I think a lot of it is is just manipulating um, you know, certain reactions from people. And sometimes people are doing that knowing what they're doing. And sometimes they don't realize they're doing that because they've been just in a patterned way of doing that for a long, long time. But, and it's not to say just listeners, it's not to say that, you know, it's not okay to share your feelings and your stories and your emotions. It's to say that there are, um, certain times and places and certain people where it's more appropriate to do that. That's right. my, what I'm saying. It's just, you know, having some discernment about how and where and when you share. Right. And let's mix it up a little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying to lie by any means, but like, if you're going to tell me how terrible your life is and we're close friends, you know, I, I would think that at some point you're going to tell me the good parts of your life as well. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just- mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, everyone has their, uh, Everyone has their kind of their ground zero mental or emotional state. And sometimes it's really hard for them to pull out of that. You know what I mean? Until it's pointed out to them. Right. And they decide they don't want to feel that way anymore. And then they have to figure out how to stop feeling that way. And, you know, and that's learning how to stop telling the same old negative story. Right. No. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number six, you demonstrate empathy. Now, the ability to show empathy, which includes understanding others' thoughts and feelings, helps you connect with others. So instead of judging or labeling others, you work hard to see things through their eyes. I'm totally, in a, yeah, agreeing with that. Um, and it, I agree that understanding doesn't mean that you actually agree with the person. You just can, you know understand and, and showing empathy also doesn't require taking on another person's feelings. It's just more about, you know, compassion and having the understanding that they're feeling this way and why. And empathy, I believe, is one of the uh, real benchmarks for people that uh, deal with uh, social awkwardness. And, and, you know, when you have to actually like seek uh, professional help for maybe some of those issues and they wonder where you are developmentally, um, empathy is a big sort of marker on whether or not they need to go, you know, certain therapeutic uh, avenues to help uh, people, you know, adjust and be uh, more comfortable in their environments. And uh, I think like empathy, while it is uh, basic, you know, human nature for a lot of people, uh, for some, a, a lot of others struggle to really even, you know, feel that not that they don't care about the others that are around them, but 
to recognize it and to know when to be empathetic. It, it's not, you know, first nature for everyone. No, it's not. I mean, it's basically, you know, having that ability, as the saying goes, to, you know, walk in another person's shoes. Right. And some people just, yeah, they just they just don't have it. It's very unnatural for them. Yeah. So, yeah. And some people are so have so filled with empathy that they actually are empaths and they take on another person's feelings. Um, Which, and yeah, that's I'm, something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's but, an anchor for some people. That'll just drag you to the bottom of the ocean. Well, it can because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of negative feelings out there. And if you are an empath and you're taking all that on, you know, you got to you really have to learn how to manage that and protect yourself because you're right. It can really drag you down. Well, that, that, that's uh, one thing I admire about my friends that are therapists, um, the ability to really listen and take on someone's feelings in a session and then be able to compartmentalize it to where it's out of your mind and you don't let it sort of carry your own emotion into your next uh, patient and appointment. And I I'm sure you're someone that has to make sure that you, mm -hmm. you know, have a session with someone where yeah. you're really, you know, trying to understand their issues and help them, but also at the same time, like not have those feelings carry over to the, the next person you deal with. Totally. Exactly. I mean, I consider myself to be an extremely empathetic person. I'm, I have that ability, but I have the ability to, you're right. Com compartmentalize it and not and not um, take it all on and take it with me uh, like an empath would. You know, I mean, really, that's I, I began to understand, um, you know, as I became um, an adult, that that's why doctors um, sometimes seem rather cold and uncaring. It's not that they're not, but they have to really guard their emotions. Or can you imagine with all of the things that they see um, and do on a daily basis, if they were overly, you know, empathic, right. they would have a hard time doing their job. Right. And, and also too, like, I'm going to take away the, the mental sort of thing, uh, from this out of the equation for a brief moment, but l let's talk about medical doctors. Like someone will come in and, and start telling you their, uh, symptoms of an issue. And maybe you find out that it's, you know, this ailment, the next person that's going to come in and tell you, you know, symptoms, if they're similar, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always the same uh, sort of diagnosis that you and conclusion that you're going to come to. And I, and I think that it, it's similar there in the sense that you don't want to allow information and feelings from one person sort of make you come mm -hmm. to different conclusions uh, or the same conclusion about a different person. It, it, like, mm -hmm. it, it, even mm -hmm. though things are similar, you know, you have to make sure that you, you don't let it carry over. and, and Right. You know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like the, the two different people, for example, could come in feeling the same way, but the cause right. could be completely different in exactly. each one. Exactly, 100%. Yeah. Like you, you arrived at sort of the same conclusion, but it's yeah. not the same, you know, road that was traveled there. Yeah, exactly. I get that. That makes sense. Number seven, you praise others. All humans crave acknowledgement and appreciation. When you commend others, you satisfy that craving and build trust in the process. And this, this all begins when you focus on the good in others, which, you know, is hard for a lot of people to do. Sometimes it's, sometimes some people make that difficult for us to do. Sure. <laughs> right? No, 100%. Um, you were talking about real and authentic, uh, authenticity a moment ago. Yeah. I, I'm reminded yeah. when you bring this up of that old saying that real recognizes real. And with that, it's basically saying that if you're a true professional, you are able to uh, respect other, you know, high level professional 
work. And I think that is the sort of same situation just in generally in life. Like if you are able to, uh, you know, be, be a a certain way and and maybe uh, someone else is similar to that, but maybe it like in, in fringes upon uh, how you feel about, you know, your own work. You don't put them down because it makes you self-conscious about your own, like be confident in your, in yourself. And there's no better way of doing that than complimenting other people that do, you know, good things, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's good to be happy with others. And I think that sort of happiness can carry over to, to yourself mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good to make somebody else feel good. You know, it does. And then by sharing specifically what you appreciate in another person, um, and, and, um, praising them, you inspire them to become an even better version or to become the best version of themselves. You know, that, that really fuels people. And sometimes we don't realize how even the tiniest bit of praise or, or compliment or acknowledgement can really have a huge impact on people. Oh yeah. You know, and it's not hard to do. It's it's uttering some kind words. It's I, not like it takes a lot of effort. At the same time, I think it's a lifestyle, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. if you are able to do that, then I remember a story uh, about um, uh, a celebrity that my friend met. And I happened to have been around this person multiple times. And I love this person. I think they're fantastic uh, uh, people to be around, like fantastic person. And I enjoy looking for you know, forward to the next time we chat. And he was telling me a time that he saw him in an airport and he said the guy was just a complete ass. And like, I I firmly believe it's because he was probably traveling and was either inconvenienced by it and was just in a bad mood or maybe was on his Mm -hmm. way to a a plane that he was late for. But it's like in that moment, my point of uh, bringing this up is it's a snapshot in time. And if that photo is taken when you're kind of in a bad mood, it will mm-hmm. leave a mark for this person that probably will never see you again, but will tell a story about how right. you're an absolute prick over and over and over again. And it's the same yeah. thing like you're saying. If you give someone a compliment, it may carry with them for the rest of their lives. And you may have no idea yeah. that you're, you know, you, you have that kind of power over someone. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, number eight, you give helpful feedback. So that's kind of similar to that, similar to the one we had, um, earlier about, um, it's kind of like the one, what we were, Oh, you benefit from criticism. So this is sort of in that same vein, you give helpful feedback, obviously negative feedback has the great potential to hurt the feelings of others. So realizing this, you reframe criticism as constructive feedback so that the recipient sees it as helpful rather than harmful. Yeah. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of, you know, podcasters like yourself and and a lot of people are, you know, asking me what I think they can do better. And um, I have no problem sharing, you know, some criticism. Uh, maybe it's mm-hmm. not necessarily what they want to hear, but I always do like to give them, you know, praise when I see it or even at the same time. Like if I'm going to tell you to work on something, I also want to let you know that you're doing a great job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's good to do both. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and depending on the circumstances, you know, you can ask, like if it's somebody that's like a friend or, or a family or somebody close to me and, and you feel like, gosh, they really, somebody really needs to mention this to them. You can ask first if they're willing to hear some constructive criticism before you start dishing it up. A lot of times, if you just ask somebody if it's okay, like, you know, right. would you be willing? Can I tell you something? Would you be okay if I share something? I don't mean to hurt your 
feelings, but right. I just want to, you know, and, and, and then you can kind of gauge their reaction. Um, and a lot of times if you approach it that way, a person is much more open to hearing what you have to say rather than just saying, well, they need to hear this and then, right. you know, spewing and, what you need to say. <laughs> and, I, and I think it actually, like, even if what they say, you know, rubs you the wrong way or hurts you, it's the fact that they you know, are treading lightly to bring it up to you because to me, it just shows that they care. Like they feel right. like they see something that needs to be brought to my attention. Yes, it may not, you know, sit well with me or sit, you know, the way that uh, I want mm -hmm. it to. But the fact that they were willing to sort of go out of their way and be like, I, I won't tell you yeah. if you don't want to know. Like it, it, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of... Uh, uh, well, it states their intention that, yeah. that you can tell their intention is to be helpful. Right, exactly right. And also, again, I think it just goes back to the fact that they care. Exactly. Exactly. Now, on the flip side, you know, if the context is something like, say, um, you say it's in the context of a job and you're talking to an employee, then you don't need to ask if you can give some helpful feedback. You could just, you know, say, I have some constructive things that I want you to work on. You right. don't have to ask if they're willing to hear it because the context is different. Right. I mean, they're the, you work together. You know, you're doing right. jobs. You're doing the job. You're, yeah, exactly. All right. Number nine, you apologize. So it takes a lot of strength and courage to be able to say that you're sorry, but doing so demonstrates humility, a quality that will naturally draw others to you. Emotional intelligence helps you realize that apologizing or apologizing doesn't always mean that you're wrong. It does mean that you value your relationship more than your ego. Right. I thought that was a very good point. I, I think that one's an important one, but at the same time, like if you're going to apologize, please be authentic. I can't tell you how many there times I, I get apologies that are just like, you know, casually tossed around where it's like, I don't think you really care. And you're just saying you're sorry because you feel you need to. Yeah. You're just paying lip service, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think when it comes to relationships in particular, um, something that you really value, a close relationship, a friendship, you know, whatever, that that saying says it all, that saying that goes, you can be right or you can be happy. So sometimes, you know, you just need to be OK oh. not being right. I mean, and, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times I have died on the hill for an argument where maybe I even <laughs> win. And then I get there and I'm like, well, that was not worth it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm the yeah. winner of the argument. And now I yeah. feel terrible. Yeah. And now, but now everybody feels like they lost. Right. Somehow. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. right. Okay. Number 10, you forgive and forget. Hanging on to resentment is like leaving a knife inside a wound. While the offending party moves on with their life, you never give yourself the chance to heal. When you forgive and forget, you prevent others from holding your emotions emotions, excuse me, hostage, allowing you to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, for, forgiving is every bit as much for you as the other person. Um, and you hear all the time, some people say that they can forgive, but they're not going to forget, which I find to be rather curious. So, well, you know, what ha what happens yeah. is they're, they're still actually really hanging on to it. Then, right. You know I mean, what I mean? Yeah. When someone says, I'm, you know, I'll forgive and I won't forget that that basically tells me that you're paying that lip service that we were talking about. And you're not mm -hmm. actually getting over it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think if someone, you know, if if they borrow money and they don't give it back to you, but you don't want that to destroy your, you know, relationship and mm -hmm. friendship, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. forgive and then don't forget that if you give that person money again, you might not ever see it again. In fact, you probably won't yeah. ever see it again. But don't right. don't let I mean if you're truly going to forgive them, you know, let's not, you know, secretly begrudge them, you know, internally forever right. because they didn't pay you back. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, depending on what the situation is that you're forgiving, you know, you still, there still may be a lesson that you need to learn within that whole, whatever the situation was, you know, like the example you just gave. Um, But on the other hand, then you have sometimes people will will forgive, but they're not really forgetting and they're actually still holding resentment, you know, and they kind of have this need. This will happen a lot of times, I think, with um, with couples where somebody has breached the trust in the relationship. They're trying to repair it. And, you know, the 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 party that was offended decides that they're going to forgive. Right. They don't really forget. They still have resentment. And then what happens is, you know, they they kind of have a need to punish the offending party because of what they did to them in the past. Right. right? It's it's like you hurt me before. So even though I forgive you, I'm not going to let you forget it. And now I have the right to remind you of it and constantly make you feel guilty for your past transgression. So you're not really forgiving in that case. Yeah. Going back to what I was saying, like if uh, a partner cheated on you and you forgive them, but you're not going to forget. And in that sense, you're never going to let them maybe leave town again by themselves without, you know, hounding mm-hmm. them. Then you haven't forgiven them. Like you really right. don't. I mean, like I understand it's hard. Like in every mm-hmm. committed relationship, Lori, that I had ever been in uh, with a woman, I, I basically said, like, look, if you cheat on me, like it's over because like I, I won't be able to forgive you. Like mm-hmm. uh, maybe I want to stay with you and maybe I'll trick myself to be like, yeah, we're I've forgiven you. We're cool now. But now mm-hmm. I'm just really jealous of everything. And that, mm-hmm. that, like, I mean, to me, you know, that just was a, a, yeah, a deal breaker. Yeah, deal breaker. And, you know, some yeah. people are better I mean, than that, you know, than, yeah, than me, but yeah. I'm not, you know, and, and it's I don't think I'm wrong for being upfront that way. No, you know yourself enough to know that that's something you can't come back from. So rather than fake it, um, you are authentic. Right. And I don't want to waste anybody's time. Work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. That makes sense. All right. Number 11, you keep your commitments. It's common nowadays for people to break an agreement or a commitment when they feel like it. Of course, bailing on an evening of Netflix with a friend will cause less harm than breaking a promise to your child or missing a major business deadline. But when you make a habit of keeping your word in things big and small, you develop a strong reputation for reliability and trustworthiness. So emotionally intelligent people keep their commitments. Um, I think that speaks, um, keeping your commitments then, you know, it also really speaks loudly about a person's integrity and their values. Right. I mean, there's, right, there's times when something unavoidable or, or an unusual circumstance, you know, causes you to have to break a commitment. But for the most part, you know, you do what you say you're going to do or you, or you don't say Right. You're going to do it. You know what I mean? 100 percent. And I think uh, this is a little bit different. But, you know, going back to what you said, like when you keep your commitments, you never know, you know, how well it's going to sort of represent yourself in the future and and sort of leave a, a you know, indelible mark and impression yeah. on, on someone. I, I feel the same way uh, about remembering someone's name. I'm terrible with this. I try to remember everyone's name. I'm just bad with names. But like <laughs> something that small, if I say I'm going to hang out with you. Um, and I always, you know, deliver, maybe that is enough for you to recommend me 
uh, for a job or something where it benefits me. But the same thing I think is if I'm able to remember someone's name or someone remembers my name, it goes the longest way. And I know that's not a commitment, but it, it goes to speak to the level of if you just mm-hmm. do a, a good enough job and be thorough with things, it, you are remembered in a completely different light than if you are willy nilly and just casually say, yeah, we'll do that and then never do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. It's, um, that's like an example of being committed to valuing that other person enough to try to remember their name. The smallest Um, of commitments go the furthest. I think sometimes they do, they do. And I think also emotionally and spiritually mature and thoughtful people also have the presence of mind to think through something before they commit to it so that they don't constantly find themselves in predicaments that cause them to want to, or need to break commitments. Right. right? I I mean, I just, uh, recently started working with, uh, someone on a podcast and we did one episode and five weeks later, we never did another episode. And the sixth week I was like, Hey, we, we're going to do the show this week. And they're like, Mm -hmm. uh, I I can't, I quit. And it's like, Oh, I kind of figured that I kind of figured that we've been gone for five weeks, but like, why did you say you were going to do the show to begin with? You know what I mean? And and I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people think, oh, I can do that. I can pull that off and then realize, oh, man, no, you have no real intention of actually doing this the, the second mm-hmm. it was inconvenient in your life. Yeah. So, you know, they bailed on the commitment. And then on top of it, they didn't even have the the professionalism to call and say, you know what? I was wrong. This isn't for me. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to discontinue and let right. you know. And, and it was it was, you know, five weeks of excuses. And it's like, dude, if you. I would just rather you be honest and say you can't do it. I get it. Right. No, no, we'll yeah. do it. We'll do it. No, we won't. All right. Right. Keep the commitment or, or you know, fess be, up. Yeah, be real. Be real. Exactly. All right. Number 12, coming down the home stretch here. You help others. One of the greatest ways to positively impact the emotions of others is to help them. Most people don't really care where you graduated from or even about your previous accomplishments, but what but what, you know, they, they, they care more about the hours that you're willing to take out of your schedule to listen to them or to help out or your readiness to get down in the trenches and work alongside them, right? So actions like those build trust and inspire others to follow your lead when it counts. So helping others is, um, is another great indication of uh, people that um, are emotionally fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, people and- can... Go ahead. Well, I think going out of your way to help people, whether, you know, sometimes it's philanthropy, other times it's, uh, you know, teaching someone something that you do. Like to me, it's an incredibly selfish act in the sense that I get a great gratitude or great uh, joy out of it. Um, You know, one of the best things I can do is teach someone how to do a podcast and set things up. And I find that Mm -hmm. when I teach people, I sort of understand how much I actually know about something. And Mm -hmm. uh, while, you know, they're appreciative of me helping them. I'm appreciative of the fact that like, oh man, I actually, you know, vocalized this and realized I'm, I'm kind of decent at this. And, and, and the same thing with, you know, giving, giving, uh, money to like, uh, toys for tots, donating a toy during the Christmas time. Like, I don't see that child actually get what we donate, but like, I just feel better about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. se- selfless acts can be very selfish at times when you think about how good it makes you feel. Yeah. And actually that one um, is all about contribution, which we've talked a lot about before. And that is a, the, a very powerful human need. So it makes total sense that it makes you feel good to be able to contribute on some level. Um, 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, people can often find themselves in situations where, you know, they feel like they're up against something overwhelming and then, and that they're alone in this battle and emotionally intelligent people, according to this, you know, will pick up on that and they'll lend a hand or just offer emotional support rather than be just oblivious to the potential needs of others. 100%. Number 13, last one, you protect yourself from emotional sabotage. You realize that emotional intelligence also has a dark side, such as when individuals attempt to manipulate others' emotions to promote a personal agenda or for some other selfish cause. And that's why you continue to sharpen your own emotional intelligence to protect yourself when they do. That's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't well, know how to articulate exactly what I think. Yeah. Here's, um, I think you, I think this'll, this'll frame it up perfectly. Um, protecting yourself from emotional sabotage. All right. That's really blatantly obvious when you listen to the media or you listen to politicians running for office on both sides. So what that, you know, what, what he was saying is that, you know, individuals will attempt to manipulate others' emotions in order to promote a personal agenda, right? And if you're an emotionally intelligent person, you sharpen your own emotional intelligence so that you can protect yourself when that's happening. And that's what happens when we're watching the news all day. They are using... Right. They're tugging at your emotional, you know, heartstrings and they're manipulating you emotionally in order to sway the way that you feel. Right. Um, so I, I, I posted on, on Facebook a very long sort of post yesterday because I don't know what was going on with the algorithm, but uh, both sides of the aisle uh, was just popping up with, you know, opinions in my, my Facebook newsfeed. And obviously it's from, you know, friends and, and family and like everything was just hitting me. Both sides of the aisle were just attacking one another with these posts. And like what bothered me, Lori, is I looked at all these posts that they were, um, you know, uh, reposting. And it's like not one of them was from a real reputable, reputable site without an agenda. And I mean, mm-hmm. you can argue that, you know, network television isn't even that. It seems like everybody has an agenda. But my, mm-hmm. my point is this is these posts were doing nothing but trying to incite um you know, uh, a sort mm-hmm. of uh, heated Conflict. discord. Yeah, like mm-hmm. disc- discourse with one another. And it's mm-hmm. like, I-, I posted that, you know, whether you post something from a, a, you know, very conservative blog or a very liberal blog, like, please just do me this one favor. Go out and fact check everything and make sure that it's not something that can be, um, you know, discredited within three minutes. And just realize that while we all have certain views, we need to meet in the middle on things. And and I think, you know, when it comes to politics, like you need to have your guard up just because both sides are going to just try to pull you in ways that mm-hmm. are just, it's not beneficial mm-hmm. for anybody. I think we're so divided at this point that no one is actually meeting in the middle and having real honest uh, conversations yeah. about things that we need to have answers for. Yeah, because it's not about trying to find the middle ground. It's about trying to say you're wrong and I'm right, right. and you need to think this way, or you know, there's going to be trouble. And, yeah, so and like that's, you mentioned, keep, shame. you mentioned keeping your guard up. The one thing that, like, when you were reading it the 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 first time, that I got a little bit hesitant about was you need to make sure you don't get emotionally sabotaged, but you also need to do 
you know, let your guard down a, a little bit. You know, we don't want to go through life where we have this wall where we don't let anybody, you know, really get yeah. close to us. And I, for some people, I think it's a very fine line in how they can, yeah. you know, have relationships, but also not get destroyed by, you know, the evildoers, if you will. Yeah. Well, right, right. It's just, it's really about using your own emotional intelligence to be able to refrain from being manipulated by others who are trying to use their emotions to control their thinking or to control your thinking and your right. actions or trying to use your emotions to control right. your thinking and your actions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. My, my favorite thing to do with people is to have a conversation where we both stimulate one another to think outside of our own boxes. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, 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 to have intelligent discourse. And I'm the first one to admit that there's a lot of things that I don't know about. And I look forward to learning all about them. But I also hope that someone will uh, sort of listen to the things that I'm saying at the same time and and hear me out. And, you know, those are the conversations where uh, I think we really become close with one another because we're not trying to uh, manipulate one another just like at the end of the conversation I don't care if we agree or disagree uh, in fact maybe I'm your friend because you always disagree with me and I want that sort of influence in my life but I just want mm -hmm. to be heard and I don't want to be manipulated and I think uh, yeah. far too often people are looking to manipulate us totally absolutely all right. That wraps up our 13 points. I think that those were really, um, I mean, we've heard about a lot of these things. We've talked about even several of them before, right. but I just think it's really interesting that um, according to this, um, this book uh, by Daniel Goleman, that those are actually characteristics of emotional intelligence. So I think it's pretty interesting. Well, um, uh, I, I think it's good because we talked about it at the very top. Uh, you know, there is a maturation process um, mm -hmm. in, in life. And more often than not, we just think about, you know, the physical maturation of a human being and not so much the mental, uh, side of things. And, you know, as you were mm -hmm. reading and as we were talking, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm deficient in any manner, but, you know, listening to some of these things, I definitely see room for improvement on, on, you know, myself and my side. And, uh, uh I mm -hmm. think it's kind of good that, you know, it was brought to my attention through this podcast. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, me too. I'm always, I'm a, I'm a perpetual student, a lifetime student of growth. So I am always open to uh, looking at what can I learn? Where can I evolve, you know, and expand and raise my consciousness and, you know, become a better version of myself. So I, mean, I love this stuff. I think the smartest thing anybody can say and realize is they're uh, not the smartest person on the planet and they don't know everything. You know what I mean? And if you're willing <laughs> right. to say that, you're pretty damn smart in my book. Totally. I, I'll go with that. Thank you for chiming in. That was really a good, a good conversation. Um, well, the good news is emotional intelligence is not fixed at birth, as you alluded to earlier. It can be nurtured and strengthened throughout adulthood with immediate benefits to our health, our relationships, and our work. These 13 characteristics can be embraced and make you emotionally smarter by practicing self-awareness, self-discipline, and empathy. And anyone who is sincerely interested in a kinder and more civil society should take an active interest in practicing and teaching how to be more emotionally intelligent. And on that note, 
I thank you all from the bottom of my heart for spending some of your valuable time hanging out with me and TJ today. If you feel guided to subscribe, if you haven't already, and giving me a rating, know that it means a lot to me and I really do appreciate it. If you're trying to make some shift happen in your life, I'd like to remind you that I've been a personal performance coach for 11 years and I invite you to find out what private coaching with me is all about on lauribischoff.com. You can also check out my book, Common Sense Happiness, there or on Amazon. And lastly, I'd love to connect with you on any of the social media platforms, so don't be shy. Stop by and say hi. Until next week, stay feisty and emotionally intelligent, my friends. And now go forth and make some epic shift happen in your life. You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.